Hello everyone, I'm Randa and I'm an immigrant girl. Presenting this podcast with me is Shahed. Hello, I'm Shahed and I'm an immigrant girl. This podcast will discuss our journeys as immigrant girls and share the stories that made us who we are today. I'd like to welcome you to the first episode of our podcast, An Immigrant Girl. Who's an immigrant girl? An immigrant girl is anyone who picked up their life, moved to a new country and started calling it home. Anyone who went through leaving their childhood home, learned a new language, made new friends, found a new job and navigated a new culture. This podcast is also for you if you're trying to understand an immigrant. It could be an immigrant colleague, an immigrant friend, wife, husband, neighbor. All listeners are welcome. We do tell the story from our perspective as immigrant women. Through this podcast, we wanted to share stories of who we are, where we have been, and how we got here. Most importantly, how we got through it all. Oftentimes when I went through tough times, I wanted someone out there, a voice or a sign or something that could possibly guide me or show me if I'm on the right path or going in the right direction. It's almost as if I wanted emotional mentorship, but I wanted it from someone who had gone through what I went through. In my journey, I struggled to find immigrant voices, to be honest. There are a lot of immigrant stories out there, sure, but I still did not find an example of what a story might look like that I could connect with. It didn't matter if people were from India or Italy or Palestine. That's where most of my closest friends are from. Our families felt the same. Our household struggles felt the same. And our journeys were very similar. That connection is the community we are working to bring together here. Renda and I are part of that community, but also she happens to be my aunt. Well, um, I'm not that much older than she had, only a few years older, even though she is my niece. Okay, you're more like my older sister. Yes, please, let's keep it at that. <laughs> And I'm your younger sister, and I watched you and your immigrant journey start before mine, but I didn't know how it started. I was too young. I I did recognize that every immigrant girl's story started somewhere, and it's a constant journey. And now I want to know, where did yours start, Renda, and who were you when you first left Iraq? I was born, as you know, Shahed, I was born and brought up in Baghdad in the late 70s. I moved to the UK in 1997 when I was 20 years old. Today, I live in London, England with my wonderful husband, Steve, and my two daughters, Leila and Lydia. Who was I when I first moved to the UK? When I look back, I see a very frightened 
20-year-old who's been sheltered her entire life and then suddenly she was dropped in the world's busiest city with endless options. You see, I used to fail English when I was at school in Iraq, so I wasn't confident at all in my spoken English. So a trip to the supermarket will throw me completely out of my comfort zone. I'd worry about someone stopping me and asking me a question and then I wouldn't be able to answer them. And that, and that petrified me. I found that really embarrassing. It was really tough because I went from this confident 20-year-old with a big social circle and great sense of humor to someone who can hardly open their mouth with two words. Shahid, what about you? How did your journey start? Because you started at a different age than me. You moved to America two decades ago, but you were 12 years old, weren't you? That's right. When I came to America, I was 12 years old. And until that moment of coming to America, I had lived with my grandmother, your mom, my whole life. And that was the first time I had to confront the idea of leaving her. Oh. I had to leave with my mom and dad and my two sisters. And it was nothing like you would imagine in the movies where you sit down the whole family and explain to them the decision that came about when you're told you're going to move to a whole new country and a whole new continent. Yeah. It was more like, hey, the visa came out, it was approved, and we're going to pack our bags and leave. And within one week, you're already on the other side of the world. So did you did you not storm off the table and go, I'm not leaving, I have my life here and my friends here like they do in, in the American movies? Of course, that would never be acceptable in our family. <laughs> something thrown at you. There was no storming off. I know that it was coming, but I just didn't know the exact date when it was happening. That decision does come really fast from the moment you're told and the moment you're packed and, and leaving. The next thing you're confronted with is how you landed in your new country. And we happened to land in Detroit where we were greeted by my uncle and my aunts, which are your brother and sisters and all of their families. So my cousins that were here. And there was that exciting moment in the airport when the airport doors are about to open and you're going to see your family in America oh, greeting you. Exactly, with the signs, right? And you, the airport is deceiving because you're in a parking structure and you can't see. But as soon as you leave the airport, you're like, yes, I'm here. And I was squeezed in the back seat in the car between my cousins. And I was like, where are the skyscrapers? And they were just laughing at me. And I didn't understand why until they said, you landed in Detroit. <laughs> when you're waiting for that moment where you come out and go, wow, America, I'm finally here. Yes. But that wow didn't happen. Yeah, it's like, I'm finally here in the flattest place I could possibly imagine. There's not one single building that I imagined. And of course, in the movies, you imagine even the White House is down the street. You could just walk <laughs> by it. But to be fair, I mean, Detroit does have some skyscrapers, right? But you probably didn't drive past them going from the airport to your neighborhood. It's definitely not your first stop. <laughs> I was dropped right into suburbia. 
And a couple of months later, I was expected to start the seventh grade and make new friends and learn the language. So I had spent the summer teaching myself one sentence that I could use if the kids ever came up to me. And my sentence was, I speak Arabic. I figured. (laughs) I figured if I tell the kids I speak Arabic, no one will speak back at me because they'll know maybe I don't speak English. Did you need some audiobooks to learn that? (laughs) It's like, I speak Arabic. I felt I just needed enough of a buffer for kids not to at least Push uh, them away. Me. Yeah, I just needed them to give me some space. And uh, did that happen? Did they give you space? Actually, the opposite happened. Because the kids understood the sentence, I speak Arabic, they continued to speak to me as if I am inviting them to speak to me. That is brilliant, actually. That's really good. And it shows how kids really don't care. They just adapt and they decide, so what, you don't speak English? You probably understand from my body language what I'm saying. Right. And of course, that arrival is so exciting and the events are so new and just everything is at the tip of your fingers, every feeling. But when you settle in and you realize that you everything is new and you have no one here, you really start to miss your homeland. And I started to miss Baghdad so much. And I was, uh, it was such a central part of who I am. I had spent most of my life there. And I wonder for you, Randa, you had also spent most of your life in Baghdad before you left. Did you feel that way about Baghdad? Interestingly, I didn't. Um, When I first moved here I in fact I felt slight resentment and anger towards Iraq because I felt so behind Um, I felt behind everyone in the world I felt inadequate in every aspect of life my education my language my confidence and I blamed Iraq for that and the wars that we lived through but later I found that this is a symptom of being an immigrant and many feel the same way when they first move. But the good thing is I focus that anger and that negative energy on doing something good, which is integrating. I focused on building a new life and I was very grateful that I was given this chance to move. And my mom constantly reminded us, Shahed, right, your grandma, that we are very fortunate to be given this chance so we can't spend it worrying and being homesick, spend it on building a new life. So I was on a mission to integrate and do well and not look back. So I wouldn't allow myself the chance to feel nostalgia or to miss my family, which was quite hard. I was pretty hard on myself because I had to suppress all of these feelings. But I think it was a coping mechanism, uh, almost like convincing myself day in, day out that there was nothing to miss. And of course, that's not real because you still miss everything. You miss the food, the smell, the people, the language. I think that's even a harder way to deal with being alone than to identify with it. You you were doing it the tougher way, which is pretending like it's not even a part of you just to move on from it. 
I think so, actually. I've I've not thought about it this way, but it's funny how we come up with all our own defense mechanism to see what is best for me to cope. And I think I chose that. Um, but that luckily that didn't last. Um, today I have a very different relationship with Iraq, even though I haven't been since leaving since 23 years ago I found myself missing it a lot and I I can't wait to go back and visit I miss the language I miss the people I miss the accent and I, I just I'm longing for it what about you Shade are you missing Iraq you know I've been back more times than you have but I still uh I've always felt it was such a big central part of my identity. I was born in Iraq at the end of the Iraq-Iran war, and I come to the United States, and three years later, the United States is at war with Iraq. So I always felt I had a strong connection with Iraq, but I'm also living here, and I have to deal with how to do both. That must have... Um, created a conflict inside you because your new home is at war with your 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 kind of the country you came from and you're a very political person aren't you how did that make you feel as somebody who's growing up and finding their feet must have been hard now reflecting back on it I think it was a central reason of why I ended up majoring in political science in undergraduate, because I was so focused on Iraq as a political, a geopolitical region, and I wanted to study it so badly as part of my identity that I thought political science is the best way to study it. And I ended up even more split because I found out more so how this is deeper than me. It's bigger than me. I'm just one person that is dealing with an identity issue that has nothing to do with basically the place. But as a teenager, I attributed all my problems to being in America. I felt if I could just go back to Baghdad, none of these problems would happen. I was witnessing people my age deal with friendships being lost and going to high school together and saying things like, I'm not friends with that girl anymore, but we used to be friends last year. And I really wanted those problems and I felt I was robbed. I couldn't have those problems because my friends aren't here to fight with them. So I was stuck with whatever group of friends I was going to make. And it's not like I can waste time losing friends because who am I going to go to high school with? I have no one. And of course, when you're the new kid and the new immigrant kid, somehow you always end up in the group of the outcasts because that's the only group that's basically Aww. left to take you. <laughs> in, and in those moments, you really wish that you had your elementary school friends, your middle school friends that you built relationships with, and you wish you could call them and say, I'm not speaking to you for a week you know, over what just happened at recess. And somehow to me, those problems were uh, non-existent in, in Iraq. I was just, all of that was going to go away if I could just go back there. But I think 
you know, what you didn't know, obviously, at the time, and I'm sure you realize that now, 12 is the age when drama starts, isn't it, in in middle schools and in schools here as well. I remember my daughter, everything was absolutely perfect. And then when they turn 12 and 13, they start getting excluded from friendship groups. They start being casted out, regardless whether they're immigrant. But you... You, you basically blamed the fact that you were an immigrant for all of these normal teenage problems, right? As a teenager, you don't understand them as normal teenage problems. So the easiest way to explain them to yourself is the thing that you can identify and, and put your finger on. And what I could put my finger on is, I'm an immigrant, I'm not from around here, and that's why I have all these problems because... You guys don't have these problems. Obviously, Kelly and Katie <laughs> and Jennifer are not having these problems, you know? So it was more like, for me, Baghdad became an idea. It was everything I couldn't get in America. Fantasy, right? Exactly. I could just fill it up with all my hopes and dreams and make all my uh past happiness become the idea of Baghdad and all my future struggles are America. So here we are, two immigrant girls from the same family brought up with very similar values but had very conflicting experience when it comes to immigration and our homeland. Shahed, you were the romantic who... Uh, was always nostalgic about Baghdad and everything about Baghdad was amazing and brilliant. While I was the cynic and every problem in my life, I blamed it on the fact that I grew up in Iraq and I lived through wars and and so on. And I think that's very interesting. I, I don't know whether that's to do with the different age we arrive um, in our new country um, or... Is, has it got other factors? I think this will be a great topic to dive into and discuss with our listeners in the future. What were you? when? How did you feel? How was the conflict inside you when you first arrived in those first couple of years? Absolutely. And I think the more feedback we get from people, the more we can see if it's a spectrum or is it a defense mechanism uh, or is it just a shifting identity? For now, I would like us to shift a little bit and talk about what we do. So, Renda, why don't you start with telling us a little bit about your career? My career started out really boring, so I'm going to bore you with that first bit. Um, when I first came to the UK, I had this idea about, of course, we were all influenced by the movies, weren't we? And all I wanted to do is put on a suit, in a nutshell, that's my ambition, was to put on a suit, go to the city, work in a fancy office, and then when I finish, I'd go to dinner with my friends to a restaurant. I think that, that was my career aspiration. What is the job? I really had no clue what the job is as long as I wore a suit and got on the train. Um, so, I mean, sorry to disappoint, but truly, really, I just wanted to work in a corporate. I think that was 
you, you wanted that stability, I guess, and you wanted to work in a corporate and you think, you know, that's where I'm going to learn the most and so on. So I, I focused on that. And within three years, I, um, I started working for the UK's largest um, technology consultancy. That's really fast. Three years? Yes, it was it fast because for me it dragged on. I think the first three years of my life were very difficult actually because I was finding myself it's like, what do I do? Every day I wake up and go, oh no, I'm I'm going to do this. Uh, or you, the other problem with 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 having all these options as an immigrant person that's come from a place with very limited options is that you're confused all the time. So I was I was changing my mind. I was trying to find my feet. Do you not have anyone to talk to about these things, to ask oh, about Shahid, guidance? You, you're touching upon a very sensitive thing. That's exactly the problem. When you're an immigrant, um, you don't have any sounding boards. You don't have people that you go to and you talk to and go, what do you think about doing this? Most of the people you know are in the same place as you. They're on the same boat. And I remember my sister got into technology and she really encouraged me to get into technology. And somehow I ended up there. Um and I progressed with my career in the consultancy world. Then I moved on, worked for another big corporate and and moved up the career ladder. But I always felt I could do more. Um, I, I didn't find it fulfilling. I knew I was capable of more. But in my 20s, I doubted myself a lot as an immigrant girl. I used to constantly put myself down and it's almost like putting chains on myself and going oh no no there's no way I can do this I, I, I barely speak good English oh no no I can't do that my written English is not brilliant and it took me a long time to break those chains and go actually no I can do that so that's when I broke away in my late 30s and decided I'm going to start my own business. And that's when I started my first tech company, VLoop, which is a safe payment for kids and teenagers. Um, unfortunately, this business suffered during the coronavirus earlier this year, but that didn't stop me. I started another company. It's another payment method that helps the elderly pay for volunteers. And here I am today, you know, I've, I am the founder and CEO of two companies. It's tough, but I love it. I love the hustle. I love, you know, waking up every day and having to do something different. And you're the same, Shahid. You're a real hustler because you didn't want to just settle for a job as well. And you went on and, and started a business. Tell us a little bit about your career and how you started Today, I'm a lawyer. I started my career as a lawyer in the United States as a prosecutor with the Office of the Attorney General as part of one of the biggest investigations in my state, which was the Flint water crisis. That's very impressive. Uh, to start your first job, if you were a prosecutor, that is very cool. Very and like, like you, Randa, I think from the movies, people think prosecutor is is a very cool and hip Absolutely. job. I'm from the district attorney <laughs> office. Everybody, everybody stops and looks, right? 
And honestly, it's, uh, I, I love what I do as an attorney. I loved what I did as a prosecutor, but it is a lot of review of papers and reading a lot of reading, uh, very dense documents. So like you, you realize when you get into the career, what parts do you love? What parts do you want to keep? So through that journey I, of, of doing the prosecutor job, I simultaneously was building an immigration practice under possibly one of the toughest administrations on immigration, the Trump administration. In building the practice, I focused a lot on immigration, especially the area of asylum and family visas, because I was an asylum seeker myself, and I wanted so badly for my clients to have the same outcome as I had and my family had. What a beautiful story. An immigrant girl turned into an immigration attorney. No one understands your clients the way you do because you've been through it all. You know, sometimes I feel that connection with my clients because I've been through the process. And in in my line of work, it is a, it's heavily focused on the whole family being involved in the process. And so a lot of my cases, the clients come into the office and they bring their entire family, which is lovely. I mean, you get to know every single person in the family on a, on a deep level. And I love that you have a playroom full of amazing toys in your office. The kids love it. Don't yeah, they? you have to adapt. Yes, you have to adapt. And I learn very quickly that my clients can't afford childcare. They have to bring the whole family here. And I need the family here to investigate cases deeper and really dig into the background. And so in preparing for trials, I had uh, one of my one of my earliest cases. I remember I was preparing for a very tough trial and the whole family was here and my client's oldest child was here. And I remember at the end of preparing for her dad's case, she said, I want to be like you when I grow up. How do you become an attorney? That's so sweet. How did you feel when you got home that day, Shahed? You know, it was honestly one of the most touching things a child could say to me at that moment for helping her family. And it was better than winning the toughest case I could have had. Oh, that is an amazing story. And that's actually part of the reason we wanted to do this, Shahed, right? We wanted to do this podcast to show girls and women out there that all these things are possible. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I spent years and years doubting myself and uh, thinking I can't do this and I can't do that. And and partly to blame for that is, is how the media, uh, you know, portrays success to us. You know, you always have the Oxford graduate, the Harvard graduate started this company. And that kind of puts pressure on us thinking, well, I didn't go to these wonderful institutes. I'm never going to be as good. But of course, you are. So you just need to get out there and do it. And the other reason I really wanted to do An Immigrant Girl is because when I think of An Immigrant Girl, I think of someone who survived. 
someone who survived love, marriage, divorce, motherhood, a tough working environment, a harassment, bullying at work, buying a house, um, and so on, all these things, you name it, we've been through it. And she survived all of that with hardly any guidance or a sounding board or someone that could just help her with her application for university, for example. When I was going through this journey, I felt really lonely. And that's why I wanted to bring you this podcast so we can share our stories and hopefully help you with your journey. The reason why I wanted to do the podcast is when I was going through tough times, I would reach out to people in my network who had gone through similar experiences and I would look for them specifically. I would look for people in my exact shoes who went through the same thing I was going through, experiencing the same pain I'm experiencing. And the feedback that was most helpful through it all was that they didn't die. (laughs) Did they give you that feedback? I I didn't die. (laughs) Honestly, that's all I wanted to know is that if, if it was this tough and they didn't die, then I wasn't going to either. Oh, that sums it all, doesn't it? That you just wanted to know they survived all of these hardships. And that's, therefore, I can survive. Indeed. And we will. Thank you, Shahad. And thank you all for joining us for our first episode of I'm an Immigrant Girl. This episode was to set the scene and introduce ourselves to you. Next episode, we will pick a topic close to an immigrant girl's heart and dive into it in more detail. To everyone out there, thank you so much for joining us. We want to remind you that this is a podcast about storytelling from the experience of our journeys and others' journeys, whoever else is willing to share their story with us. We would love some feedback from you, our listeners. If you're an immigrant girl, what are you dealing with at the moment? What do you want to hear about? Please write to us by going to www.animmigrantgirl.com. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us on your podcast platform. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you.